Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. In this episode, this is a solo episode, I got on to talk about the intuition and my experience with clairvoyance in the form of these lights that I see. I talked about how I started to see them, how I interacted with them. And then I go into some tips around how you can court or befriend your intuition, open up your intuition. And I also talk about, you know, what keeps us from indulging our intuition. I think there's a lot of fear around it. And so I wanted to deconstruct some of that. And I'll get into the episode now. Hello, everyone. I've sat down with a nice cup of Damiana tea to record an episode by myself about the intuition. And to address this topic, I want to first talk about my personal experience with intuition, specifically with what I call the lights. If you know me, if you talk to me, or if you've, you may have just heard me talk about it, but I often will talk about the lights. And the lights are literally these little sparkles that look like stars in the night sky that I see in my field of vision now probably up to a thousand or some thousand times a day. Or, you know, when I see a light, for example, sometimes I see a cluster of lights. So it's not like I can accurately count like, oh, I saw five lights today. But when I first started seeing these lights, I would see like one a day and it was the fucking highlight of my day. And I organized my life around what can I do to see more and more of these lights. So I'm going to back up and tell you the story about these lights, which I attribute to my intuition and clairvoyant abilities. But part of why I'm sharing my personal story with this is not to be special. It's to just be transparent about my reality. I think that there's a lot of conditioning that people with psychic sensibilities or clairvoyance receive to be very secretive about either that they see things or, you know, you're just supposed to show the proof of your knowledge and wisdom, but you're not supposed to talk about your inner subjective experience. And I'm going to deconstruct a little bit about why I think that is that we've been conditioned to be so secretive about our spiritual gifts. But another reason that I'm sharing it and being transparent is that on my spiritual journey and on my personal development journey, I have received a lot of guidance from tuning into the biographies and personal experiences of people that I admire and I think that it would be a real disservice for me to take up space in the world and produce work that people connect with and that people like without talking about my personal experience of life, because that is a very kind of, that's a way to stay in this kind of tower of like, oh, like, look, I'm producing good content. I have wise things to say, but my methods are a secret. The magician never reveals their tricks. You know, that's kind of bullshit. I know that other people have the capacity to be clairvoyant. And especially if you have the interest in being clairvoyant or being psychic, chances are that you are. We tend not to desire things that aren't for us. And of course, there's exceptions to that because there are, I think, spells and enchantments in the world to be quite serious about um, getting us to desire things that we don't actually need. And so these are 
kind of the consumerism needing to have a certain body or needing to have a certain look and how you may desire those things from a real genuine soulful place or those desires may have kind of been planted into you by this really powerful system of marketing and a simple system you know we're in a secular culture but instead of having you know, a spiritual system that we're all collectively aligning with. It's marketing that has been kind of seeping into our consciousness for our whole lives. And I'm also not anti-marketing. I'm very passionate about marketing because marketing is how I can be a successful business person and how I can get people to find out about my course Um, how I can get people enthusiastic about my course. So I'm not being anti-marketing here, but I'm just saying that not all marketing is created equal. And are you in marketing just to make money and to exploit people and to use psychological insights to exploit people to buy things they don't need? Or is marketing a vehicle for you to share a high vibrational or magical service with the world? You know, there's a difference there. And I... I think I have just gone on a tangent, so I'm going to retrace my steps and I'm not quite sure if um, it will scissor in exactly, but let's see where I was going. Oh yeah, so I was saying that if you want to be psychic or you want to be clairvoyant, chances are you are, and your path from this point forward can be about letting yourself be clairvoyant, giving yourself permission. So I'm going to talk in this episode about how you can befriend your intuition and some ways to invite more intuition and more clairvoyance into your life. Sound good? All right. Well, first, let me tell you about how I started seeing the lights. If you catch the second episode of this podcast, I share in more depth my personal story that I I share every now and then on my various platforms that in 2012, I was 21 years old, and I had a massive spiritual awakening And I didn't really have the the mental or intellectual frameworks to grapple with the energy that was moving through my body and moving through my system and moving through my life. And so what happened was that I, this spiritual awakening also triggered a psychosis. And while it was happening, I did not think that I had a problem. And looking back, I recognized that I was acting inappropriately um, and that I was out of balance. But I had this deep trust that this process that I was going through was really meaningful because I was becoming aware of my power, my aliveness, my reason for existing, that the universe is enchanted and magical and that the universe will interact with me. So if I pray and ask questions, I'll get signs or I'll hear answers back. Like that was a huge awakening, but I also was becoming aware of the kind of, you know, I don't really talk about evil that much or use that word a lot because I think that I, things have softened for me in a sense. And I have a different way of looking at reality, but at the time it felt like corporations and, you know, these kind of mass poisons in our food. Um, what else? Like the mass imagery and the media of violence towards women, things like this. I just felt like there was an, I was overwhelmed by the presence of what I considered evil in the world. And I thought that I had received all these answers. And so I was very passionate and I kind of became a little bit zealous and 
I also was convinced that I should speak without filter. And during this time period, a lot of people were very enchanted by me and were telling me that I was going to be famous. But my family thought that I was mentally ill and asked me to move home and see a psychiatrist. So again, this story is a lot more detailed in episode two of this podcast, and I highly recommend listening to it. This experience that I had seven years ago was so formative, and I'm actually really grateful for it because I did end up faking my way through psychiatric care and realizing that there was this real battle in worldviews because what I had experienced that was triggering a psychosis, I still considered ultimately real. And the psychiatrist you know, that I was being entrusted to was not sympathetic to that reality at all. And from his paradigm, it was just a pure delusion. And it was just psychosis and a mental illness that I would have to treat for the rest of my life. Whereas in the years following and kind of unpacking what's happened, this was a deep initiation on my spiritual path, a deep initiation into self-trust. And I also learned a lot about spiritual emergencies and how in different cultures, a person who's having a spiritual crisis, who's suddenly psychic overnight and experiencing a psychosis, is undergoing an experience that other cultures might be considering valuable, such as the birth of a visionary, and they treat it in a different way. Whereas in our culture, what's normal to do is to take people who are having spiritual emergences and put them in mental hospitals um, or you know, have them take medication and not talk about it. So there's a deep suppression in our culture of these intuitive faculties, because instead of working with them, believing in them, building a system around how we can interact with psychic sensibilities in a way that's life enhancing, because certainly it's a whole world. There's a lot of different spirits that you can interact with, a lot of different channels of psychic sensitivity that you can interact with, and not all of them are going to contribute to you being balanced and happy. You know, some of them might actually be detrimental to your mental health. But instead of being, you know, having any system in our culture to discern how to be a psychic and how to be sensitive, it's like someone who's erupting with psychic sensitivity. It's like just put them in a hospital, shut them up, have them take pills so that they can forget um, this experience. And there's something really off about that. And you might hear, too, that a lot of people who want to develop their intuition, one of their biggest fears is that they're going to go crazy. You know, how can I trust myself? If I listen to my intuition, aren't I just delusional? So this goes beyond a personal quandary. This is a collective issue. And it comes with a historical trauma of actual persecution, like the witch hunt and people being literally killed for being involved with magic. And if you believe in reincarnation at all, and you're someone who has kind of a psychic sensibility or you're flirting with it in this lifetime, you may have had a past life where you were persecuted for that. And so that fear carries over as a trauma in the soul of, you know, be quiet about spiritual sensitivity, don't even engage it, etc. So there's, I just want to be really upfront that there's sticky kind of barbed wire around the realm of psychic sensitivity because of the structure of our culture. Now, if you were raised in a family with parents who were very mystical, or you had a community of spiritual and mystical people, then this might be less sticky for you. And you may have been raised by people who have already been working through this trauma and kind of you inherited some of that you know, work that's already done. 
And I think for me, in my case of growing up with more atheist or kind of secular parents, it's helped me, it's kind of triggered in me a passion to talk about these experiences, because I know what it's like to grow up in a environment that not for any like lack of good spiritedness and love and generosity and kindness in my parents, it just wasn't their belief system. And so I've deeply internalized what it's like to have an internal experience that is way different from what the society around you says is okay. And I'm, I'm actually really grateful for that. I feel like that's very connected to my dharma. So it's not something I feel bad about. But okay, back to these lights that I see. When I was having that spiritual emergency, and this was in the time where I was already back home with my parents, I had the idea, like any perfectly sane person would have, right? Um, to wake up my mom in the middle of the night. It's so silly to me looking back, but I mean, that's how like on fire and passionate about my ideas that I was. And um, I've definitely learned how to harness and channel my passion in better ways in the years following. But I woke her up in the middle of the night to tell her that I recognized I had acted erratically and made errors in judgment, but it was because I was having a profound spiritual breakthrough and that I believed in God now. And, you know, I'd found God which at the time was really a way of saying that I'd awoken to a magical and enchanted universe, but using the word God was just an easier way of expressing the sentiment. But when I said the word God, I actually saw a firework pattern of blue lights burst into the room. And it was really incredible. Like it was a a religious experience for me to see those lights. And because my sanity was already in question, I didn't say anything about the lights. I didn't point at them and be like, look, don't you see that God is affirming that, you know, whatever, like, I just could see the tension in that moment of like, wow, like, people that I really care about, and that care about me think that I'm crazy. And meanwhile, I feel like the universe is validating that I'm okay, and that there's truth in this moment. During the whole time that I was faking my way through psychiatric care. Again, check out episode two for more detail on that. I didn't see the lights again. And I was also really miserable. I don't think that um, I wasn't having a lot of moments that speak to the ways that the lights are triggered for me now. But I do think that during this time, it was a it was a dark night of the soul. I had immense fear that my life would never be good again, that I would be marginalized forever, that my life would be a tragedy and a failure. I wasn't sure if I should continue living. So it was a very, very dark time for me. But when I did get out of that experience and I was able to move back to my college town at the time and continue my studies in undergrad, I started to, you know, I was very inward, um, I was felt very opened by my experience and very traumatized. And I was just being really protective and gentle with myself. I started to practice magic and like law of attraction. Um, and I can talk about that in another episode because that would be a huge tangent. But I was doing things to pull myself up and find happiness again. And I didn't really like spending time with people who didn't believe in magic because that same trauma of not being believed um, or someone trying to kind of explain away my magical reality with, you know, it's just your brain tricking you or 
you're just perceiving reality a certain way, but you're, you know, you're delusional, essentially, I didn't want any of that feedback from anyone. So I was content to just be by myself, unless I could be myself with someone else without being criticized. So I started to become really good friends with God and with spirit because I wanted connection, you know, but I didn't really know how to get it with people at that moment in my life, except for a few people here and there, but not really community, kind of like a diaspora of like one friend here and one friend there. And it's just like, you know, it was like that for a little bit. And I wrote in a journal and I studied astrology and I started to have this experience while I was writing or thinking that as soon as a really inspired thought, maybe not a thought that I would have noticed as inspired, but it was like the lights would appear at certain times and I would take register of what I was thinking. The lights didn't really validate fearful thoughts. Um, They seemed to validate my truth or something that was just really real. And because I was praying so often and talking to God so often, I think if you listen to one of the recent episodes, I think it's episode number 10 with Colin Bedell, he talks about how when you pray, you allow for divine intervention into your thoughts, like you that you bring celestial order into your mind. So because I was always asking God and always asking angels and just talking to, you know, God and angels all day. I started to have different thoughts and these lights would appear around different thoughts. But then what was really cool was that I started to have direct dialogue with the lights. So because I noticed that the lights would appear sometimes, and by the way, let me just back up and say that the lights at that time in my life tended to be blue or white, though I do see a variety of colors, but blue and white are the main light colors that I see. And sometimes the lights appear, you know, I could close my eyes and they're in my inner vision. Sometimes they're in the room with me. They can be on people's faces. They can be on the page. And now I just like before I started recording this podcast, I was plugging in the charger for my computer and I saw a light when I did that. And I just thought it was really funny because I was about to record this episode about the lights and the lights, um, are a far more frequent presence in my life. And I think that's because I've been practicing for years, this very intentional, well, I've been practicing for years, this intention of bridging my spiritual, mystical, mythical, imagine, imaginal, visualized reality. So getting into a higher space where anything is possible and going up to that space and seeing what feels good, what's really exciting and grounding those things into my actual reality. I have a lot of Pisces in my chart and I've, I've wanted to live in an enchanted reality. Like that's what makes me feel really happy and alive. So getting to see lights in mundane moments is great too. But for the first few years that I was seeing the lights, they really were um, assistance and helping me refine my consciousness. So again, I would sit in my room. Sometimes I would turn off the lights just so that the It was easier to see these lights um, or I would look at a wall and I would try on different ideas, especially, you know, if I was in turmoil about something and people think that I'm really, they, I get the feedback a lot that I'm very grounded and self-possessed and 
I think that that comes from really battling with having intense emotions um, at certain moments in my life. And definitely I had intense emotions in like adolescence without really knowing how to process them. So it was like just being in this like stormy cauldron. And as time has gone on, I've developed skill sets for working with and processing my emotions. And so I would have this experience of like, I would get triggered a lot because I had just experienced something traumatic. And because I didn't feel supported in my reality yet, like I felt I had divine assistance and divine support. But in terms of my mundane daily reality, a lot of things triggered me. My life did not reflect my values. And I felt, you know, that theme of persecution in the simplest of moments. And I felt misunderstood pretty often. And so when I was upset and when I was going through something, I would look at the wall and I would try on different ideas. Sometimes I would have a very persecutory kind of blamey thought like, well, it's that person and blah, blah, blah. And I wouldn't see a light. And so I would kind of like cross my arms, look at the wall, think, try again and say something maybe more compassionate um, or something more higher vibration. And I would see a light. I also use the lights to make decisions. So for a while, I would try on different ideas about, you know, should I do this or this? And it could be a big life decision, but oftentimes it was like, should I go out on this particular adventure or should I stay home and write? And I would kind of, I'd put up my arms kind of like I was a scale and I would wait to see a light on the left or the right hand side of my field of vision based on which idea I had associated with which side of the room. And for a little bit of time, I would get a distinct particular answer. The lights would show me, you know, choose this and then I would choose it and it would often be you know, a good result. Either it would be blissful, I would have fun, it was like clearly a right decision, or I would learn some kind of lesson. And so I started to also develop a trust with, wow, like, why would I not follow the lights? Of course, if I were to believe this dominant belief system that I'm delusional and just seeing things and that I have a psychological issue that I should go see a doctor because of these lights, then maybe I wouldn't listen to them. But because I was so confident and so sure that, you know, these lights are my intuition. And even though the external world is telling me not to listen to my intuition, I can listen to my intuition. And yet, I also need to be very mentally healthy. I need to be self-possessed and I need to produce good work in the world. I need to appear upstanding. I need to be a good person, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of negotiated with like, I'm going to be a wild, mystical intuitive person, but I'm going to do it in a way that is okay in the world. And when it's safe, when I can speak my truth, I will. But for a time period, I was mostly very secretive because again, I was traumatized. So I would listen to these lights and follow them. And after a certain period of time, when I had been using the lights to weigh between making different decisions, I would get a light on both sides of the room or on both hands. And it was really confusing for a while because I had honestly believed that I could ask like a yes or no question or give the universe like two possibilities and that I would get a distinct, this is the right one. But after the lights started to play on both sides like that, I realized that my own dualism, my own consciousness structures around, you know, is this right or is this right was actually 
not really that real. It was illusory. I use the lights as well to write the forecasts um, that many of you read, or if you haven't read them yet, I would highly recommend them. They're at monarchastrology.com. But when I first started writing horoscopes, and I used to write sun sign horoscopes that were like a few sentences each for each of the signs, I would wait until I saw a light. And if I didn't see a light, I would delete the sentence or the few sentences and try again. And so I would only publish what made me see lights. And I had this really divine, like deep seated faith that if I did the things that made me see lights, and I boosted them out into the world via social media, that they would land well. You know, maybe people that didn't resonate wouldn't resonate, but so what? Someone would. The lights helped me develop a kind of language. So people will say for my forecast that I have a certain way of talking about abstract concepts um, in this poetic and accessible way. And it's a dialogue that I have with these lights. And again, I don't actually know what the lights are. Sometimes, you know, when I look up into the corner of the room and I talk to an angel, I'll see a light. I think if we zoom out really far, that it could also be that I am the lights, you know, like there's oneness in this universe. And so maybe there is a future timeline version of myself or future versions of myself and um, lives to come if we're going to be linear about this, that are kind of sending their support back in time, but like, yes, like do this, this is right. And in addition, you know, I've, I've studied a lot of astrological concepts and what psychological themes or spiritual themes might play out at different life stages. And even though I'm 27 right now, I've been producing content like this since 21, 22. And I would get this feedback from people much older than me, like, you're really wise, you know, and sometimes for a while, like, people don't really mention my age, like no one cares, you know, (laughs) like, I, I didn't care. But sometimes people would, you know, have this idea or share this idea with me that like, you know, aren't you worried about like people not taking you seriously because of your age? And I was like, no, like, I'm just going to put my content out into the world and it will resonate with people. And it will transcend these kind of cultural limitations and biases. Why not? But I would see these lights um, that would help me both write and would also hover over the publish button and give me the courage to click publish. Sometimes the lights, like they'd be dancing and sparkling all over a Facebook status I wrote that was really pushing the edge of like, okay, am I going to do this? And I would publish it. And I would feel so much anxiety and I would look at the wall and be like, can I delete that status? Should I delete that status? And I would see a light. And so I would delete the status. And so I also got kind of confused about why are the lights, um, they play on multiple sides, just like there was that idea of like, I would ask yes or no questions and get a light for both. Um, Sometimes they would lead me to publish something and then also delete it which showed me that my idea that there is a distinct right and wrong may not be exactly how it works. I still believe in morals and having standards and practicing love and compassion. And those are the things that lights tend to appear around. But the nitpicking 
should I post a status? You know, will I be loved? Will this status land well in the world is like kind of really small stuff at the end of the day. Now, the cool thing about these lights is that other people in my life have started seeing them. Not everyone, you know, sometimes it's people who have the desire or someone who's already kind of in the mystical world. And I also meet people who already see the lights. And what's really come up um, with some of my friends who have seen the lights is that after seeing a light or something, they immediately doubt it. They're like, no, I didn't see that. I think it was just a trick of my eye or whatever. And I'll stress to them, you have to believe in what you're seeing. Like the world is then like the collective culture and our collective trauma and the collective suppression of magic and the feminine and the intuition and the lunar is working against you. Like if you don't believe in yourself, who is going to? And obviously you can get external acclaim and be believed in by others and be hollow inside and not believe in yourself. But... Honestly, how many people in this world are going to give you radical permission to believe in yourself? Or how many people are just playing the old scripts? You know, you have to find some pretty bright, enlightened, loving people to kind of hold that candle for you and be like, no, believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, if you're not holding that fire, if you're not lighting that flame, it's a lot harder for it to to pass. But also... We are social creatures and we do conform and that is part of our security. It's in our culture and it's probably in our genetics that, you know, we've been social creatures, we align and tribe. And so it actually is really scary for the nervous system to go against that. But I felt a really strong sense of, you know, I trust these lights and the people around me, I think that in a lot of cases they mean well, but I did go through a time period where it's like no one in my external life really believed in me at the same depth that I believed in myself. You know, they may have believed in me in a different way. That was their own narrative about my capacities and, you know, Oh, I'm smart. I'm going to be a good writer, but it's like the kind of inflated spiritual sense that I had of myself. And I use the word inflated, like people think that inflation is bad but it was a very intentional, almost like tantric inflation of like, I'm a goddess, I'm a divine being, I have the right to exist, I matter, I'm going to help the world, you know, these kind of things where it's like, I had people in my life at that time who would have told me that's really egoic, like you need to take it down a notch, etc, etc. So I was just private and had those thoughts to myself. And I would see lights. And I thought, like, honestly, what reality am I going to choose? This enchanted lit up reality where I feel not just, you know, that I see these lights, but I also get electrical pulses and chills through my body that is my nervous system screaming like, this is true, this feels good. Or am I going to buy into a mass hypnotic sleep of disenchantment? You know, what are you going to (laughs) choose? So let's talk about intuition and validating your own intuition. I think that I've expressed, um, a little bit by now that there are cultural forces that work against being an intuitive person. And it's not necessarily diabolical or evil or whatever. I think that it has a lot to do with conditioning and trauma. And that over history, certain forms of consciousness were favored and other forms were suppressed. And that if you are embroiled, or if you're just part of this, 
and you haven't looked outside of it yet, and this is just your reality, of course, you're not going to want to dive into your intuition. It's said to be crazy. It's going to lead you off the rocks. It's like diving off of a cliff. It will separate you from the tribe of secular, atheist, agnostic, whatever people that you know. It's not necessarily the most like, oh, this seems safe, you know, like there's actual and beyond that, there are dangers of psychic capacity. If you're porous, if you're just receptive, it's kind of like opening yourself up to different forms of illness or disease. You have to learn how to manage your psychic sensitivity and pick up on certain stations, uh, certain radio stations, if you will, of what you want to pick up on. Do you want to pick up on the bliss channel and the everything's okay and in divine order channel and I'm an alignment channel and I'm a loving being channel? Or are you going to pick up on the paranoia, conspiracy theory, people are out to get me, um, people don't like me channel? If you think about it, and this is a way that I've come to look at it, and I'm not the only thinker um, who has proposed this, but the things that people are thinking on the planet at any given time, not even just in this timeline, in this moment, but across eons, across the span of time, it creates a field, and we can tune into those fields. So if you want to tap into the consciousness of like an ancient alchemist, if you study alchemy, if you kind of create the groundwork, because you can't necessarily just tune in with a consciousness that you don't have the hardware for, for example. Um, if you study alchemy, etc., it's easier for you to tune into the consciousness of this ancient alchemist. What's another example? If you are having a spiritual awakening or you're realizing that like it's all love, you're also tuning into masses of other spiritual awakenings that people have had. Think about the 60s, you know, like, did you have a moment where you were having a unique, what felt like a unique spiritual awakening, but later you found out that a lot of people had had those same ideas? There's a lot of, you know, just as like, there's a lot of negativity and complaining and misery and suffering in the world. And it's like, if you're sensitive to that, it's like, whew, like, you can just go under. It's like a riptide, you're going to get pulled under. Not if you have strong boundaries, not if you're discerning, not if you can listen or hear that channel, because that's part of what compassion is, right? Sensitivity to other people's suffering it doesn't mean that you have to also suffer or be lost in that world and not know how to get out of the pool. If you want to tune into a feeling of bliss um, or ecstasy, you can start to kind of imagine it and bring yourself into that state through you know, fantasy, recalling images that make you feel good, saying mantras or saying things aloud that affirm that you want to feel good or that you do feel good, not that you want to. Um, you can self-pleasure, like you can do whatever to bring yourself into a heightened state. And you're tuning in with a whole field consciousness, not just your own private experience. Now, I, you may have heard this before, or that might be this really kind of out there idea. If you want to learn more about this, I would read the book Personal Power Through Awareness by Sanaya Roman, and also Spiritual Growth Being Your Higher Self by Sanaya Roman. And there's a lot of information in that about how psychic sensitivity works and how you can use your psychic capacities to tune into truth and tune into goodness and tune into love and kind of lift yourself out of 
the mud and mass delusions, etc. One of my teachers, so this was in um, Ari Moshe's Beginner's Guide to Astrology book. That's an ebook on his website, but he talks about how there's like a normalized mass psychosis, like in culture, just the values that we have around destroying the earth to satisfy these addictions that we have. And, you know, the ways that we're perceiving reality and the ways that we're acting is like a normalized psychosis. And then people who take that in freak out and are like, you know, having some kind of spiritual awakening, they're the ones who get put in hospitals. Like it's just kind of uh, a one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of weird situation. And I think that because of the degree of messiness around this whole process of how are you supposed to be psychic and safe at the same time when that's not an acceptable thing to do in our culture makes it so that it's easier to just be like, you know, I want to be balanced. I want to be sane. I want to have a normal life. I'm just going to keep my intuition at bay. I would like you to think about your intuition like a friend And you can really think about any force in the cosmos as a friend if you want to have a relationship with it. So this could be the energy of romance. It could be the energy of like having a personal system of ethics or morals, you know, whatever it is that you want to call into your life. What if it was like a sentient being, a spirit, a friend? So take your intuition and say that it's your friend. Now imagine that this friend is sending you messages. They're texting you. They're calling you and either you stop picking up or you have picked it up or you you pick up the phone, you answer the text, but you say something back like, shut up, that's delusional, that's not right, or you get scared. You know, your friend may take the message and go away because you've asked them to. You might have a very pushy friend who's like, you know, gets to your house and starts knocking on your door and is like, listen to me, like we have to talk. That's a different kind of friend. I can't say what kind of friend your intuition is. But let's say that your intuition, you've repetitively told it, shut up, I don't care, I don't want to listen to you. That being, that part of you is going to go away. And if it's a really, really deep, essential part of you, which I think for me in my experience, it's been... I never stopped listening to my intuition. I hung out with my intuition throughout my life, but I didn't take it as seriously earlier in life. Like I would have these mystical things happen and other people would be like, oh, that's just coincidence. And I was like, well, okay. And I would still write in my diary or write short stories or write poems based on my intuition. So my intuition hung out with me kind of like a muse that I was taking photographs or writing about. And so it was still getting attention from me, but my relationship to what intuition is as like a a confidant or someone who helps me or someone who guides me through life, like that's different. And it's still also maybe a muse figure or someone, you know, it's a very dynamic relationship. But think about that. There's a lot of people who they're afraid of their intuition, their intuition comes knocking and they say not now, or it's like, have you ever had like a friend who every time you say something to them, they kind of like throw their eyebrows and they just have something critical or like naysaying about it to you. Like you'd stop hanging out with them because it's like doling your vibe. So there's this sensibility in our culture that it's really good to doubt your intuition and to be rational instead and to dissect your intuition and to only act on rationalism. 
And so that really just suppresses a part of ourselves when we do that. Another way to open up to the intuition is to become more radically open about how you pick up on information. We have a certain way of discerning what forms of information we receive are actable, actionable, or valid. And so if you really place priority in scientific studies and data, and you get a green light from some kind of study or some data set that says like, okay, do this thing, then that's where you're deriving your sense of permission from. Let's say that you have you're open to prophetic dreams and you listen to your dreams and the messages that they give you. Or if you receive a synchronicity, like in the same day, three people mention the same book and it's kind of esoteric and you don't know why they would all mention it. It's not like it was just released or maybe it was, but whatever, you take it personally and it's meaningful to you that this book keeps being mentioned around you. So you go ahead and pursue it. But maybe it's also just an inspired thought that you receive. One of the liabilities of being psychic or about listening to your intuition is that it can lead you astray when you are new on the path or it's like a new muscle that you're working out. Imagine if you are a yogi who's learning balance. Sometimes you keep your posture and sometimes you wobble and fall over. If you want to trust your intuition more, maybe you can ease into it. For example, if you consider some different options about the path that you want to take on your day, or maybe the path that you want to enter onto in life, consider a few different choices and close your eyes and sit with yourself, get like grounded in your breath, grounded in your body, and give yourself a few different choices and tune into the environment inside of your body about how you feel in regards to those choices. Some of these choices may feel very neutral or maybe even heavy and dull and deadening. And some of these choices may feel like they have energy and you feel alive and you feel a spark or you get chills. Maybe you see lights too. It doesn't have to be. Like that's just a form of how my intuition shows up and it's accessible to others. Others have seen the lights, but it's not necessary. Find what it is for you. Find what your signals are that something is right for you. And tease that out by trying on different things. If you want to be scientific about it, use a control variable of something that you can't stand or something that repels you and weigh how that feels in your body versus how something that you love feels. Another point of advice that comes in through one of the Sanaya Roman books is that psychic sensitivity and being spiritually discerning comes from a place of deep self-knowledge and knowing what your own energy is like. And so do you know what it's like to be in your own field? That doesn't have to mean that you're in a empty room or a cave and it's just you and the abyss. But think about what it would be like to be in a bedroom of your own that you've designed with your own sensibility, your own aesthetic sensibility, And you have, yeah, you've constructed it to reflect you and you have quiet time. You have reflective time. You write in a journal. You become aware of what kinds of thoughts you have. You write in a journal somewhat often. You tune in somewhat often and you become aware of the general waves, the influx of what kinds of thoughts you tend to have, what kinds of feelings you tend to have. 
And then when that is really strong, when you're centered in yourself, go out into a busy place or spend time with another person, spend time with a tree. Notice how you feel differently. Notice how your internal climate shifts. You're picking up on the energy of something else, someone else. And you're also picking up on the chemistry between you and that something or someone else. But it's still information about what you desire to be in relationship with and maybe what puts you on edge. And then another thing that comes up with psychic people or psychic curious people is there's this general fear that you're just going to pick up stuff all the time that you're always going to feel the feelings of others. And you're just kind of like a victim to how sensitive and psychic you are. That's like having a phone and being really worried that people are going to text you all the time and you're not going to text them. That's literally what it's like. If you're picking up on messages, you have the choice of if you're going to look at them, if you're going to read them and entertain them and answer them, but you also have the choice of sending your psychic energy out into the field. You can do that with the world. There's a lot of people who are very scared about the state of the world and we are in kind of like a crisis climate, you know, like literal climate and also like metaphorical climate. But if you are adding to the inflammation of that field of fear by just having anxiety and just entertaining fantasies about the end of the world, you're sending out a frequency into the cosmos that's not really helping Yet, if you were to regularly tune into love and compassion and these kinder or more utopic or think about possibility and think about people having enough to eat and world peace and whatever, visualize those things, you're sending out a signal into the universe that makes it easier for other people to tune in. Kind of like a song on the radio that is popular and it's playing on all the radios and it's like a top listed song. It has power because a lot of people are tuning into it. So you can choose, you can vote what kinds of thoughts and energies you want to send out into the universe. In an interpersonal situation, if you're constantly running a script in your own mind, you know, what you think is your own mind, (laughs) that people don't like you, this situation is really awkward, this sucks, this person's so annoying, whatever it is, That person will pick up on it. They may not consciously pick up on it, especially if they don't believe that we're telepathic beings. But their own thoughts may reflect the same kind of thing. And in fact, this is transference. This is a psychological concept. This happens in a therapeutic dynamic where if you're sitting one-on-one with people, stuff will come up that is sometimes like the other person's stuff. And... Yet, you could also, when you're sitting with someone or in a conversation with someone, be thinking loving thoughts towards them, be sending them the message that you love them. I remember actually that two of my roommates did this for a time where they told me that they did it. And I actually remembered feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Like I would be talking with them and their eyes were so like bright and sweet. And I was like getting such a strong like like I almost felt vulnerable of like, oh, I feel like so loved and like had to kind of, you know, so I don't know if they still do that or not. There's a definite feeling of like love um, in our house and all of that. 
Um, but it was really funny to hear that they had consciously been sending me love and that I'd kind of felt it like, Ooh, like, you know, we're just here having a mundane conversation, but something is kind of tickling me. Like, what is this? So you can send love and kindness. You can hold, you can hold a field. Like I, by default often will hold a field of acceptance towards other people, not if they're on my nerves or whatever, but often like there's a lot of times where it takes a lot to get on my nerves or I'm often in a vibrational field where I tend to align with people that are like-minded or whatever. But even if I'm around someone who is bothering me in some way, one of the ways that I tend to cope with it is just to accept and love and hold the space. And I've actually had to learn boundaries because sometimes I would find myself being cornered into conversations far longer than I wanted to be in those conversations because the other person felt like I was holding them. And I was like, psychically, that's the message I was sending was like, unload all your troubles. It's okay. I accept and love you. And I'm just going to be here for as long as you want to talk. And I had to actually change the, the script and the subconscious psychic energy that I was sending out so that I was sending out my boundaries as well. Like, okay, we can have a conversation, but when I'm ready to go, I'm going to go. Not just this like blank open canvas. But for a lot of years um, before my psychic or my spiritual awakening, I, I really did also do that by default. And I was also a writer. I'm still a writer, but because I wanted to understand people, I would sometimes just be a blank canvas and let people tell me their story. So I still have that. And um, part of my spiritual path right now is about being more transparent about what's going on with me so that I'm not just a blank canvas for other people to project upon. Um, But that's part of my experience and where I'm coming from. Another thing that I want to add on this is that it's easy if you believe in all this stuff to become neurotic. For example, to feel neurotic about what kinds of thoughts you have and be scared that like, oh, I had a negative thought or I had this judgmental thought and now I sent that to this other person or I sent it out into the cosmos. Don't worry about that. Honestly, like there's no need to worry about that. What you can do that is infinitely more powerful is choose the words that you say out loud or that you write. And some of the teachings that I've absorbed will say that, you know, a positive or a loving thought is more powerful than a thousand negative or hateful thoughts. And because I've realized, and this is true for just about everyone, I've never met someone who says otherwise, that I can't control what thoughts come in and out of my mind. So I don't take them personally. But I do have agency about what things I say out loud. So I use my word, both written and spoken, as a wand. And I discern what kinds of things can I say or write that will increase happiness, increase love, and increase compassion. I do this um, perhaps if I'm wanting to raise my mood or facilitate a certain outcome that I'm desiring Sometimes I have gone into visualization states to imagine different forms of world peace and the ending of suffering. Other times I go into visualizations and imagine my own dreams. Um, I picked up this mantra. I think it was on activation vibration on Instagram. 
Well, I know it was actually where a lot of people are sharing on their stories. And I think she came up with this phrase, like everything is working out best case scenario. Everything is working out best case scenario. Everything is working out best case scenario. I tried it and it actually improved the quality of my day. Another one that I like, um, and I get really, I'm kind of gentle in a lot of ways, but I can be fiery. And when I hear my friends talking about just random fears that they're afraid of, of like something bad happening in their life that's really out of their control. I'm like, whoa, stop. Remember that you have to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right things in the right moments. Say that. I'm in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing in the right moment. Substitute it however you'd like. I'm a good person, following my intuition. I'm safe. I'm held by the universe. I am increasing love and compassion on the planet. I'm a healer. You know, say whatever kind, benevolent, expansive words out loud that you want to magnify in frequency. I think another thing that I've become very sensitive to in years of intentionally visualizing things and dialoguing with these lights and I haven't talked as much about that. I also feel chills and, you know, feelings in my body that sometimes I will feel really good in my body while I'm doing something. I feel chills. I feel like a light buzzing in my third eye, or I feel, I just feel good. And other times I'm in conversation and my head starts to immediately hurt. My ears get squeaky. Um, I get like physical shooting pains in my body and I'm like, whoa, I'm touching a pain point or I'm, I'm speaking out of alignment and I don't beat myself up for it. I don't judge myself about it, but I take note of it. And it started to happen in the last year or so. I've noticed that if I'm ever speaking negatively about someone, you know, gossiping, instant pain in my body. It's kind of like my body has affirmed to me like gossip no longer serves you on your spiritual path. And I've actually taken to to think about the other form of gossip, which is when you speak positively of people who aren't there is actually a form of community building. You're enhancing how another person might experience someone else. You're introducing them before they've ever met. And if you do that in a positive way, it's like when someone's recommended someone to you like a practitioner or like, oh, you have to meet this friend of mine. You're really going to get along. You are open. You've been prepared to enjoy that other person. And so I've realized that if I speak negatively about other people who aren't there, um, I would only do that in certain situations if it was really about protecting someone like, okay, this person has this history of this, like just beware. Um, But even so, I'm very careful, very selective about Um, gossip in that way. But I've noticed that that's destructive when you use your word to speak badly of someone who's not there. But it's also constructive and creative to speak positively about people who aren't there so that other people will have that experience of them as well. And if you know, that's kind of clear to track, it's psychological, it's about human connection, but think about how your words are creating ripples through the cosmos. Do you have a narrative about money where you have negative ways of talking about it, or you kind of clench up every time you spend, or, you know, what, what's the energy that you're bringing to different scenarios? You're building a psychic web 
and the universe is listening and responding to you. And so while, again, you can pick up frequencies, you can be sensitive, you can also be a conscious participant and actor in the realm of this psychic embeddedness that we're a part of. I would love to hear from you about what this episode made you think. Please also like take a screenshot of this episode and share it on Instagram or like on your page or in a story and talk about what this episode meant to you or what you learned from it. I'll read it. I'll see that. And that can help me get an idea of what you like to hear about and what I can talk more about. And I hope that this episode was helpful. I certainly had a lot of fun just sitting here talking about magic and psychic phenomenon and being real about it because, you know, again, one thing I actually want to leave with is that the thing that really helped me feel safe on my clairvoyant and psychic path was learning um, from the author and mystic. She's like a Christian mystic, Florence Scobble Shin. What I learned from her was that your word is your wand and what you pay attention to like magnifies basically. And so if you're really scared and concerned with evil, the universe will present evil at your door. And this is interesting to think about because I do think that some souls are very deeply morally called to confront evil in the world. You know, people that are like trying to rescue people from like sex trade or something. That person may not be someone who's like, I don't care about evil. I'm just going to go live in la la land. So I recognize there's complexity in that, but think about what your path is and think about how much you can open yourself to receiving and being in conversation with goodness and love and compassion and tenderness in the world. The universe will bring that to your doorstep if that's who you're dialoguing with. If you're constantly texting evil, you're texting your fear, your fear texts you back. You know what I mean? So there's a way to walk your psychic and clairvoyant path in such a way as to enhance and put more energy and attention into the things you actually desire, the things that actually make you feel good, the things that actually perpetuate goodness and love in the universe. But also, for me how this has played out is that being in the realm of love and light and having these lights around and choosing higher thoughts, choosing love over fear that hasn't turned me into someone who's incapable of dealing with difficulty or incapable of dealing with contrast. It's just given me a stronger personality and a stronger ego structure to be able to handle conflict and difficulty and adversity. Like I said earlier in this episode, when I didn't want to talk to people who didn't believe in magic, it was because my ego wasn't strong enough. Like I knew that I felt too vulnerable and that other people's perceptions about reality would threaten my sense of security within myself. And so I made the choice to nest myself away in a cocoon of my own making and be with myself. But I did that knowing that I would eventually emerge. You can use high vibrational thinking and love and compassion and use sounds like such a weird word. Like you can interact with, you can dialogue with beauty, love, compassion to become a stronger person. And then when you are stronger, you can 
be a force of love and compassion in the world. So if that means you need to be in a little positivity bubble for a little bit, and you're worried about people bringing down your vibe and whatever, that will pass. Someday you will be strong enough to sit in the energy of love and not waver when contrast comes to you. You will be able to address difficulty. You will be able to address uncertainty. You'll be able to trust yourself. So with that, I wish you all the best on your psychic path. I love you. Please leave me a review on iTunes for the Magic of the Spears podcast. You can take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com. I'm working on a gift for everyone who reviews. And until then, if you feel called to leave a review, which is actually very helpful and like that signal boosting thing I was telling you about on the physical material data plane, you leaving a review for this podcast actually makes it easier for other people to find it and tune into it. You talking about this podcast to your friends also signal boosts it. So it's basically just that. But if you go ahead and send me a screenshot, I will take down your email. And when that free gift is ready, I will send it to you. And thank you for listening. I hope that you have a magical and clairvoyant day.